Welcome to the Delve Into Money podcast. I am your host, Curtis Haney. This is the personal finance podcast where we attempt to demystify money by reviewing books and applying what we learn to our own financial journeys. Thank you so much for listening to this special episode of the Delve Into Money podcast. Today is a spaces episode where we talked about the fire movement and what that meant to each of us and what we liked and disliked about the movement. It was mentioned at the end of the last episode, so I was really curious to hear everyone's opinions. So we just dove right in, invited some people that had experience in the movement, and it really kicked off a very interesting conversation. So I really hope you enjoy this Spaces episode. All right, so let's go ahead and let's go ahead and get started. We're gonna um, go ahead and uh, have a. F- I'm looking forward to this conversation tonight more than I think I've looked forward to any conversation we have, just because um, it's a fun topic to talk about and a topic that a lot of people have a lot of opinions about. So I want to welcome each and every one of you to the spaces. We have been doing these spaces every other Thursday night since I think it started in December, beginning of December. So uh, what you have is um, you have a number of us who are podcasters and friends, and we get on here and just talk about personal finance topics every other Thursday. Uh, We like to have fun with it, and we like to kind of dig in to different topics. At the end of our last spaces, the topic of fire came up and some fiery, pun intended, some fiery opinion shot out there. And so we decided, let's go ahead and talk about it tonight. Let's, let's dig into this topic a little bit and let's go. I'm going to go down the panel real quickly and then we're going to go off to the races and start Digging into this topic. So uh, the normal co-hosts are going to be Justin, uh, Road to Wealth, uh, Main Street Finance, uh, which is Alex, and Lauren, uh, Adulting is Easy. And we've had Clint time uh, a couple of times, and, and Clint is a part of our group, but is, uh, we enjoy it when he can be here. And then we invited to speak with us. Uh, j-rod money which is jared and rethink the rat race which is uh james and emily and so i'm excited to hear everyone's perspective because i think we have a variety of perspectives on the mic tonight so real quickly i know i had um i know there's going to be people later on in this that are interested in in hopping up and speaking which is great but we're going to do this introduction first, and then we're going to let people hop up and join the conversation as they may like. So if you want to join the conversation uh, kind of uh, at any point, feel free to request the mic. We're going to you know, allow people to jump in and start speaking if they want. But uh, if, you, if you want to raise your hand, we'll try and go in order of the hands being raised in those situations. Um, and so without, I guess, any more of my, um, filling the noise here at the beginning, uh, again, I want to thank everyone for being here. So I want to go to the panel to start out and I want to hear 
from each and every one of you. Uh, what, how were you introduced to fire? Give a little bit of an introduction of yourself, how you were introduced to fire, and how that has been, you know, kind of weaved in and out of your life. We will go with whoever's the most bold to go first. Go ahead, Alex. No surprise there. Well, you know, sometimes you got to live up to expectations, I guess. So I actually more hunted down fire than discovered it. So my story begins, I have a degree in finance, and I came across financial independence, fire, all that good stuff. And I believe it was my second finance class. Uh, we were going over Excel spreadsheets, the future value equation, present value, all that good stuff. And, you know, you get those series of questions of, well, if you save $100 a month for the next 40 years at X percent, how much would you end up with? So, OK, yeah, you know, we did two examples and he moved on. Well, he moved on. I didn't. I started going, huh, OK, well, what if you do $200 a month? What if you do $300 a month? And when you do that, it very quickly you come upon, upon the realization that, hey, if you start at a really young age and you save a relatively small amount, you will eventually end up with an amount of money that you can retire on bef way before age 65. So I kind of stumbled upon that and was like, well, people have to be talking about this. So I started looking around for it, you know, retiring early, all that kind of good stuff. And that led me to Mr. Money M Mustache, which led me to Bigger Pockets Money, um, Dough Roller, and just all those others. And that's kind of how I came across the fire movement. Hi, good evening, everybody. My name is Justin Natkill. I am the host of the Road to Wealth podcast, and I um, want to thank Curtis and the rest of the hosts here on the panel. Um, we've all become friends over, it feels like, the past year, uh, and um, I started my podcast as sharing our financial journey, um, get out of debt plan, and um, just featuring many of the, the folks that you hear here on the panel. Um, to answer your question, Curtis, I uh, similar to Alex, I stumbled into um, the really the podcast realm of financial independence through podcasts such as Choose FI, um, Stacking Benjamins with Josal Sihai. Um, and I didn't even come across um, you know, Mr. Money Mustache until later. I think I was listening to a um, podcast with um, uh, uh, FI Fietist. Um, and just listening to all the, the different stories of people retiring early um, really kind of motivated our journey. Um, and I, I definitely have some opinions after, you know, reading and listening and really networking with all these individuals on, on the panel here. So um, I'm definitely uh, excited to hear everyone's uh, perspective on it. And um, certainly mine has changed even from when we began. So Rethink the rat race. And my, I don't know who we're going to be speaking to James or Emily here, but go ahead. Yeah, so it's James here. Um, so I was introduced to financial independence through Mr. My Mustache. I actually worked at a physical therapy clinic, and a patient there had mentioned, like in passing, that had her and her husband found out about this website, you know, just a few years earlier that they would be retired by now, right? And she wasn't, you know, at retirement age by any means. And so I asked her, you know, essentially what that website was. And she said, Mr. My Mustache, you know, and that name is, just obviously stands out. And so from there, I just went down the rabbit hole and, you know, read everything that Mr. My Mustache had, listened to all the Mad Scientist podcast, 
looked into like all the OG people like Go Curry Cracker and Justin from Root of Good and um, really just like dove into the real estate aspect of it. And my goal was at that point, I was 25 and my goal was to retire before 30. And so it was like blazed earth, you know, like I would I would do anything to to get there. And, um, and my wife and I ended up retiring at, uh, 27 and 28. So, you know, we, we ended up meeting the goal a little quicker than possible or a little quicker than we had planned than possible, obviously. But, um, and so I really kind of went more into the, the real estate aspect of it with, you know, bigger pockets and coach Carson and Scott Trench's book and a lot of that. Um, so that's how I was introduced to fire and kind of the path that I took to it. That's awesome, Justin Th- or James. Thanks for thanks for sharing. I'm curious. So, so did you reach the fire milestone from real estate uh, acquiring real estate holdings? Yes. Yeah, so we did um, like typical index investing, and so we've got our Roth and our 401k. But really, for us, it was once our real estate cash flowed enough for us to quit our jobs with you know uh, a safe margin of error in there is when we decided that we were fire. So we're not using the typical 4% rule so much as it's like a cash flow fi. No, and something when we were hanging out the other day, James, that you told me that I thought was so interesting is once discovered the fire movement, everybody around you probably thought you were like super broke and you were just than ever because you went from like nice cars, nice place and like slowly started getting more and more frugal and, and house hacking and things like that. And that was just one of the one of the funniest things I've ever heard, honestly. <laughs> yeah, some people considered us extreme in that aspect, I guess. Yeah, that's that's a, a common that's a common thing. And I think you hear that on money Twitter a lot of uh, people talking about those those outward appearances of wealth that that aren't necessarily true wealth. Uh, Clint, go ahead. Hey, team. The I would say I found the fire movement about nine years ago when I was made a mutual decision to leave a job and was bought between two mortgages. I had to close on a house. We hadn't sold our house, and I realized, oh my gosh, we're not. We're not in good financial shape, even if I make uh, a fair amount of money. And so I did like everyone else said. I said I, and I can never put my family in this situation again. And so started researching, like, how do I become financially independent? Found Mr. Money Mustache. At the time, I read every single blog on his site from inception until that date. Uh, like I was reading hours a day, found budgets are sexy, a few other sites, and I became an anonymous money blogger, uh, iteration number one, eventually iteration number two, uh, started investing heavily in real estate and spending a lot less money and setting it up so that each time we received a raise after that, we didn't change our lifestyle. So I started too late, but it's been a good good nine to 10 years of creating the ship once we realized that we were totally going in the wrong direction. And I just want to add that uh, from a fire perspective, anyone who does uh, do the um, RE part uh, is a bit of a, a blight on the system and total selfish move just to see if we can get the uh, dialogue going early 
and I'm definitely kidding on that, but that's definitely a perspective some people take. Uh, and I never plan to retire to FI. Over to you. I love it. Thanks for thanks for going that direction, Clint. We will we will jump into that here in a minute. Lauren, go ahead. So I stumbled into the fire movement just on my own, but of course didn't know what it was, right? So when I was 27, I bought kind of like a, a forever home, really nice home in a golf course community, had the BMW, had the sales job, and I also had one rental property. And I was like, well, this is it. Like, I'm going to run some numbers. I make good money. My then boyfriend made good money. I'm like, if we get married, we're going to be making great money. Like, we must be able to retire early, right? And we did like some rough calculations, you know, working off the 4% rule and it came out to we could retire at 55. And I remember thinking, man, like that's only 10 years early. You know, what can we possibly do? And that and we were already into bigger pockets because we won rental. So we had we wanted to like know what we were doing on that. So then I started thinking, okay, how can I get more into real estate? Right. I read one of Brandon Turner's books about how to manage that place. But I had never really thought about scaling beyond one rental property. That's what my parents always had. And that's just what I kind of thought that you did. And so it was kind of through that and, you know, got into Rich Dad, Poor Dad and, you know, say what you want about that book, had some aha moments from it and kind of slowly just moved down this path until I, I was, I remember talking to somebody like, um, yeah, we just, we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to retire at 65 or 55. We want to retire in our 40s. Like, oh, you're part of fire. And I don't even remember who it was, but I remember thinking, oh yeah, I guess we are. Love it. So, so you came to this on your own and fire was only, was not the motivating factor behind your, the start of your journey. Is that right? Yeah, it was just, I guess, emulating my parents, right. Getting a good, getting a, you know, a high paying job, having a nice house, having one rental. I was just kind of following their blueprint and I knew that they, they did well. Um, but you know, my dad's 62, he's still working. I'm sure he's work optional at this point, but it really didn't cross my mind to kind of break society's mold until right then, until I actually already ran my numbers to see, see where we were headed, what kind of path we were on. Gotcha. That's great. Uh, Jared, go. Um, we haven't heard from you yet. would love to hear how you were introduced to the fire movement. Yeah. Hey, appreciate it, Chris. Um, good evening, everybody. So, um, so really, we were introduced to the fire movement uh, as a result of having paid off our debt and kind of utilizing the Dave Ramsey way of paying off our debt. So we were, you know, knee deep in the in the Ramsey doctrine, personal finance, and just and it, and it paid or it was it helped us pay off our debt. But once we got past that and looking at the investing side of things, that's when I really got introduced to the fire movement and just like you know everyone else said kind of through the, the traditional mediums through the uh, podcast mr money mustache uh, et money back when that was still a thing i listened to him uh, a little bit and uh, a few others but uh, what really opened my eyes to it was uh, where they started emphasizing more on the fi portion rather than the, the re uh, because i just i just previously knew about you know the whole you know the four letters and thought that that was just not for me because you know my ship had sailed you know i know that you know anything's possible but for me i was already married with a couple of kids so the the whole retire early thing was maybe uh 
a little out of reach, I guess I would say. But uh, but when I learned about the FI portion and the different things, you know, the different kinds, the coast fire and the fat fire and all that, uh, that's when we really started pursuing it and knew that it was uh, possible in our circumstance. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of my, my background in the, uh, the whole conversation. That's great. Jared, when do you think, how long ago was that that you kind of started on that journey? So uh, roughly 10 years ago is when we uh, actively started paying down our debt. And so uh, started toward FI, uh, let's say five years ago. And uh, that's when I started diving in deeply with index funds and maxing out my Roth IRA and utilizing other vehicles like HSAs and uh, taxable brokerages, that sort of thing. And really started diving into the numbers. Uh, so right now, currently, uh, our FI number is uh, somewhere around 1.5, 1.7 million. And uh, so with my uh, with my job now and with my wife's uh, career that she is with uh, elementary education, that we can hit that. So uh, we're just uh, sticking to our plan right now. And uh, when we get to a point to where we achieve, you know, the quote unquote coast fire, uh, we're going to start looking into some other things like uh, maybe real estate or maybe diving uh, a little more deeply into the crypto side of things, just uh, letting our, foundational assets take hold and, uh, you know, knowing that they're front loaded and taken care of and we can start looking into some other things. So hopefully here within the next, uh, I would say a couple of years, two years or so, we should be at that point. So it's been, uh, you know, and we've went through this uh, remarkable bear market here recently. So, uh, <laughs> and we all know where we're at now currently with that. So uh, who, who knows how that's going to go, but, uh, but so far still on the trajectory. So we'll see what happens. Very cool, Jared. Sounds like, uh, sounds like we all have a little bit different experience though. I will say from, uh, Jared, you and Lauren, uh, seem to have been influenced or pushed into your money journey without fire and fire is just a piece of that journey, but it sounded like, for the rest of us, or and I haven't talked about about my journey in that yet, but for the rest of us that that we were in some ways pushed to a different level by the fire movement, and um, that is a little bit of that's a little bit of my story, and so I'll talk about my story. But before I do, uh, if anyone is interested in joining in in this conversation, feel free to request the mic. We love to hear different perspectives as we dig into this topic, and we would love to take questions if anyone has questions. So um, I, I would just encourage you, if you're intimidated by talking on the stage, don't be. We're, no one's going to make fun of you. We're here to have fun. We're here to have a good time. So if you even have a thought of wanting to say something, I would encourage you to say it because I think... Uh, there's people in this room that could learn from you. And so I would encourage you to be bold in that. So my journey is actually started a little bit before fire. And it, and it just kind of goes back to, I grew up in an environment where uh, my parents were kind of upper middle class and we, um, I saw, and I had good money examples. So 
I, from a very early age, was very driven to make the right decisions of budgeting and taking care of my money. And so as soon as I got into the world, I was saving for retirement and I was doing all of those right moves. And in 2009, I uh, actually, there was the first time I was credit here in the U.S. And so I decided because I'd been saving money, I went and lived with my parents for six months to really pile the money up and ended up buying my first home because I could get $8,000. And I thought, why not take a free $8,000? And I invited some friends to move in with me. So in this, in the way that Lauren did that, uh, I was house hacking before I knew what house hacking was. But unfortunately, I wasn't as focused as I should have been, but I was also, you know, 22, 23 years old. And, you know, I just kind of, you know, up to what I spent, but I wasn't doing anything crazy. I was still saving money. I was still saving for retirement, but I was just kind of going through the motions of, of what does everything look like. And so I was, you know, uh, I was following kind of Dave Ramsey's advice and I was just, um, you know, doing, getting my match and doing a few things like that and going a little above that, but wasn't doing anything crazy. And so it was around that time, a couple of years later, I don't remember exactly when that I first came across the fire movement. And at first I was just kind of intrigued by it, but I kind of had a little bit of a limiting belief that I didn't know what that could look like for me. So it wasn't until we had, um, I got and we had, we started having conversations about money and what our goals were. And it was through those conversations that I really revisited the fire movement. And this isn't that long ago, uh, because my journey on that started before this, but I actually have a vivid memory of the first time I realized that fire was in some ways going more mainstream was when uh, that playing with fire documentary came out. And so we got tickets to go watch it at our, um, you know, uh, local movie theater. And we show up to the showing and we see multiple people that we knew there that were having the same conversations and thoughts. And it was, that was the first time that it kind of moved outside of just this conversation or listening to a podcast or reading a blog outside of the conversation in our home to really talking about. And I think that's kind of where the passion that I had, uh, you know, to really explore other options came from. And that kind of started our journey down that road. And so um, we have not, we are not, and Clint mentioned this, we're not planning in any way to, to retire early. Um, We're, you know, I'm always going to work. I'm always going to have something that I'm doing uh, because I am really driven in that way. But we do want to make decisions to set us up so that we have more flexibility. And I think um, this is one of the things that we're going to talk about tonight that has become central to the fire movement in a lot of ways, but is not necessarily fire. And so I want to go around and, and for those who jumped up, I want to thank you for jumping up. I'll, you can have a chance to speak here in a minute, but I want to ask the question and kind of work through people as they want to talk. Again, no one is obligated to talk in this scenario, but how does fire and, and kind of 
where are you in your current financial position and how does fire shape that current position and and what does that look like for you um, and your house and so we'll go by those who raise their hand and so lauren will let you go first and then james will let you go next so my husband and i as i mentioned when i it was when i was 27 that i sort of realized we were on track to retire at 55 and we immediately started house hacking and we immediately started doing a lot more long-term, but also short-term rentals. So at that time when I was 27, we had like the dream home type thing and then like one rental property. Now, five years later, we have 12 doors. And I actually realized this, we do a space, some of us do a space on Wednesday nights. And I actually realized when I was calculating the numbers for that, that we really, I thought we would be Coast FI, but we really are. FI at this point, my husband and I, we both do still have full-time jobs while we're managing these properties. Um, but <laughs> ever since I did that, did that math, and since I hung out with James and Emily the other day, I'm like, man, my days are so limited. Like, you know, and then my my husband's plan, he's a part owner in his in his engineering firm. His plan is to maybe like go semi-part-time, like take Friday, you know, n- not work on any more Fridays or something like that. And we both work remotely. And, you know, we started rotating amongst our Airbnbs. So when one books, we go to another. So we're already location independent. And so we're really on the verge of at least some version of the RE. I would say we have the FI, um, but we're on, you know, we have to decide kind of where we want to go from here. And also, I, I was curious about this, James, maybe when you talk, you can answer this. Did you work like longer than you needed to? Because that's kind of where we are. It's like we're there, but I think we're basically in kind of cushion building mode right now. But so that's where we are. We also have index funds and stuff like our, we have about $400,000 in retirement accounts that, you know, at 29 and 32, that's plenty. So if our real estate can cash flow us and we have that for retirement for extra things, then like, you know, health insurance, and we can keep getting health insurance through my husband's business for the foreseeable future, then uh, we're in pretty good shape. Love it. Go ahead, James. Yeah. Um, my wife and I, we are full fire, right? So we hit the financial independence number. And to answer your question, Lauren, um, we, <laughs> this is going to be like the, the silliest thing, but it, it's just part of like, you know, what, what people have to do when they're, when they're getting ready to retire. So our goal when we retired was to move to Europe and we did move to Europe, uh, initially, and then COVID happened and we decided to come back. You know, it was completely locked down. I was over, I was going to overstay my visa. But uh, the point being to answer your question, did we, you know, stay and work longer than we should? Yes. But the reason why was because we had an elderly dog, right? And there was no way that she was going to be able to fly internationally with us and stuff like that. And she was 18 years old. So we just stuck it out until our dog passed. And then at that point we were like, okay, so what we did was we kind of dipped our toe into the water of the of fire, right? We both took leave of absences from our job to see, you know, if it was going to work and if we could actually live like this. And I got like uh, a month, I think, and Emily got six months. And so we had plenty of time for us to figure out whether or not this was actually going to work for us. And yes, yeah, so we're location independent. You know, we're snowboarding in Florida, which is where we met Lauren. And we're originally from Alabama. And um, 
So that's where we are in our fire journey. We've been retired since 2019. So we're going on three years now. And um, I mean, it's, it's exciting and it's still fun and we do things every day. And honestly, I'm at the point in my life now where I wonder how I ever had time for a job, like to go somewhere and take eight hours of my day. Like, I don't know how I could squeeze that in anymore because like so full and, you know, sometimes it feels like at the end of the day, I haven't accomplished anything, but then other days it feels like I've done way more than I ever could have, you know, when I was working. And so, uh, to me, that's like a hugely beneficial thing. And especially if you like variety, um, I don't want any day to look the exact same. And so for us, that's, that's a lot of fun. Love that. Thanks, James. What I, question for you real quick. What has been the most surprising thing for you? You might've just answered it, but what's been the most surprising thing about uh, the journey so far? So the first few months after we retired, like for me, it was a game. Like I was trying to, and it was, it was also tough to not see our retirement accounts go up right uh, at the same rate, because we're obviously contributing so much. And so at the beginning, I was like super frugal, like essentially like a miser, you know, trying to avoid spending any dollar anywhere. Right. And that was it was genuinely a game for me. And so one thing that's been so surprising about it is that we genuinely don't worry about money anymore. Like we go to the store, we buy whatever we want. You know, we get grass fed beef, we get steaks, we get, you know, whatever at the grocery store. Right. And it's such a small thing. But to not like penny pinch and think that you're just getting you know ramen noodles to live in retirement is like such an easy thing and you know we have like you know a few thousand dollars in bikes right and we we buy what we want when we want and you know we're still frugal enough from a day-to-day basis like we keep our you know overall costs pretty low and so it's it's very surprising to me how little we actually discuss or even like consider money on a day-to-day basis Gotcha. I like that. I like that. Do you have any plans in the future to to go back to work at all? Or have you thought about that? Is that ever entered your mind? Or is this just kind of playing it as it goes? Well, this is one of the benefits of FIRE is that um, I actually have a small business that I have with a friend of mine where, you know, this is our kind of thing that we give back to the community, but it also can be for profit. You know, there is room for uh, empathy and capitalism. So we actually flip bikes and we take profits from those bikes and give away kids bikes. So that's like on a day-to-day basis when I'm in Alabama, that's what I do. I help him out with that. And, you know, we manage our Airbnbs, we manage all our rentals uh, ourselves. And for us, that's a lot of fun. It really doesn't take much out of the day. It's like less than 10 or 15 minutes a day. Um, and I'm, in the process of creating a course with, uh, with a friend of mine. So that's, that's how I'm filling my time. I, I don't see us going back to like a typical nine to five job ever again, unless we're just absolutely and I'll do anything in my power to keep that from happening, obviously. Yeah. I appreciate, I appreciate that hustle of flipping bikes. My, my father is a, um, avid, uh, pawn shopper and he, for the longest time didn't need the money, but was flipping, paintball guns. And so there's a lot of fun little things that you can do that I'm sure opening uh, up on that journey has helped with. So thanks for sharing that, James. We'll let um, the neighborhood, 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 neighborhood finance guru uh, go next. You're the next one to raise your hand. Uh, um, nice to meet you. Hey, nice to meet you guys as well. I've been coming to these spaces uh, ever so often, wherever I could catch them. 
So um, kudos to you guys. I think I even gave J-Rod like a shout out because he really handled one of those questions like <laughs> about a couple of weeks ago, like the most magnificent way I've ever seen. As a Toastmaster, I'm like, kudos to you, bro. <laughs> Uh, with that being said, um, I actually just joined this space to, you know, kind of give a perspective that's a little bit different. I'm from Florida originally, and around me, about my environment, I'm Haitian American. I've never really seen anybody that made over PK. On average, people made at the max $30,000. It was, I started off this weird journey in which somebody said it was impossible to become rich or become a millionaire and so on and so forth. And they, while they're saying that, I looked at them, it's like, well, technically it's not impossible. It might be improbable. And then, then I kind of went on a, a search to look it up online, figure out my way into wealth. And I knew it was kind of like this almost insurmountable situation, but I started it off in 2012. And lo and behold, me and my wife are now, um, I guess, a year away from being millionaires if the market would act right. <laughs> like, so it's been a, a fantastic ride. And we also went to uh, Europe, like it, right before the whole COVID thing happened. We traveled to 12 countries in 14 days. And at that point, that's when I realized that, yeah, working is not for me. Unlike some of these other guys, you have to um, give back. And I definitely will continue to give back as much as possible. But I really want to see the world outside of myself. So I really want to go out there. And that's what my wife wanted to do as well. And to really, you know, I guess, engage more with people and really try to follow everybody in my own passions as well. And my passion is to try to change lives and ensure that other people understand that it's possible to go from being dirt poor to being rich um, or wealthy in, in our terms. So at this point, I think why? I think that's what they call it. But I'm aiming to be generational five, if that even makes sense, like my own term on it. Because I want to give away a lot more of my money to my future generations that I'm going to use in my lifetime. And that's where I land for now. Thank you. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, and I think uh, I love that motivation that you've got um, in that way. In, in some ways, it's a similar motivation to, to mine in the long run, but I'm, I'm not going to go there at the moment. Um, Cody, you had your hand up next. I'd love to hear from you. Nice to meet you, Cody. Hey, nice to meet you guys. I didn't... Uh... Just just learned about this tonight. This is fun. So it's, it's fun. So my wife and I are about, uh, we're probably planning to be like financially independent in, in about seven years or in our early 30s, uh, which is that as a financial planner, I only work with families that want to be want to be work optional within five years. So I've seen dozens of families like on the path to and also go through financial independence. So in terms of uh, kind of a unique perspective, what's funny uh, to me is that uh, when, when families determine they have reached full financial independence, they often either keep their jobs or even uh, do a full career change. Really, really to them, financial independence is the ability to negotiate, right? They're at, they're, it's the first time in their life that they can negotiate in their work, whether that's what their role is or their ideas sharing with their, their, um, their coworkers or the boss without this fear of being, you know, fear of being fired for, for having ideas or, you know, having unique uh, you know, insights in their, in their, uh, in their business. So it's really all about flexibility. And for me, it's, uh, I find that people are a lot more focused on their, on the, what they're retiring to rather than what they're retiring from. Whereas I think, um, traditional advisors, traditional financial planners really think of the fire movement as people who just hate their jobs. Right. So, um, I really think about, you know, if, if I were to change fire, I would change it to FIWO, like kind of financial independence work optional. Because it's actually, yeah, again, I know I agree with a lot of you in saying that it's, it's really about the FI and the, the retire early is just that you have the flexibility to be work optional, but it's not 
it's not really a mindset about like, you know, like trying to get away from what you're doing. So um, for, for us personally, um, like our, our objective with being work optional is really being able to give, um, just be more generous in way without expecting anything in return. So we really want our lives to be lived in a way that revenue or income isn't a driver of, pers of personal success, right? So when you reach a level of financial independence, um, you might still do your work, but you can do it um, in a different way to be more generous. Uh, again, without without those, um, not, not necessarily anti-capitalist, but just like you can be generous in a lot more um, really interesting ways and in more personal ways once you know that the finances are, are not the driver of, of your decisions moving forward. Yeah, that's a, that's a great place to be in a great perspective. And I'm really interested um, in your view on this, Cody, because obviously you've dealt with a lot of these people. Um, I'm curious, what got you started on this path to focusing on those types of clients? Yeah, it's, it's been fun. So uh, four years ago, I, was, I didn't know what an IRA was. I was a professional musician for nine years before that. Um, so I found uh, personal finance like through, I kind of went Dave Ramsey. And then once I got to the investment part, I was like, well, you know, I don't want to invest in something I don't understand. So I went down the rabbit hole like many of us do, listen to two times, you know, lots of podcasts on two times speed, read books. So really, I was introduced through things like uh, Radical Personal F Finance, Joshua Sheets podcast. Choose FI, Bigger Pockets, Money, uh, like those traditional routes. Became an advisor at an AUM firm that really had the expectation to manage people's money. Um, really wanted to serve families that were like me, right? That um, again, uh, I only serve DIY investors, so I don't manage money. So it, it's uh, uh, in a way, I'm kind of you know one of the more of the thought leaders on you know, not, not just serving DIY, you know, DIY investors, but also the fire community, and that the traditional. Uh, traditional advisors, first of all, like they, um, we aren't, we aren't educated to know how to work with somebody who retires before 59 and a half. <laughs> we pretty much learned that, hey, like, you know, somebody retires, they, they get their uh, retirement access to their retirement, retirement accounts, penalty free at 59 and a half. They, you know, they go on to, so they get social security and Medicare, and all of the issues in the fire movement, I know, you've already mentioned that um, you know, health, health, health coverage, medical uh, medical expenses in early retirement are one, is one of the scariest things that families have issues with, like flipping that switch. Um, so, yeah, glad to answer any specific questions about kind of what it looks like working uh, with people specifically on the path to FI. But yeah, the, the traditional advisory space um, really doesn't, um, well, most advisors just think, oh, those fire people, right? They, they don't really see it as a, actually as a sustainable business model to begin with. And they also just don't understand the the very you know there's a lot of strategies um, that the fire movement utilizes you know like we've probably heard a lot about the um, the Roth conversion ladders the rule of fifty five substantially equal equal periodic payments so there's a lot of planning opportunities that the that the industry has to catch up to actually serve these communities which I think is going to grow moving forward because the the demand the demand for uh, the demand for fire planning certainly um, you know uh, is greater than the supply currently. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a unique place to be. And I think um, it sounds like, uh, sounds like you've, you've got that niche there. And I think that's a great uh, mission to be on. Uh, we're going to go ahead. And if anyone has any questions specifically for Cody down the line, we can circle back to that, but I'd love to 
move on to the next question. And um, I'm going to, I guess, kind of go for the jugular here because, you know, I obviously today posted a little bit of a, a little bit of a thread that, that tried to push some buttons in a few ways of just trying to get all the things out there that I've heard over a period of time. And hopefully you heard from me uh, talking earlier, like I think there's many positive things about the fire movement and I'm not an anti-fire guy. I, I appreciate the way um, seeing people go about it and who are in it. Um, I love learning from that. And I've used it and seen it be a motivation and my of, of what decisions I'm making. But with the just how wide the fire movement is, with um, the different types of people that you have in the fire movement, uh, from all different types of back, backgrounds, and then people that are from all different types of um, are going for all different types of goals. I'm curious, like like I mentioned in the thread, which is what I pinned pinned up top. There's a lot of differing opinions of, about different approaches or misconceptions that are within the fire movement. So I want to go directly to the pain points. We could continue to drag this out, but I want to I want to hear because we've got people with many different perspectives on the mic. I want to hear from those different perspectives and I want to be able to talk that out. And and I've never been called a shock jock before, but I, you know, there's a little bit of fun in doing this. So so what is your biggest beef for any of you that have a beef with the fire movement? What just really grinds your gears and gets you going when you hear the narratives surrounding the fire movement? Justin, your hand was up very quick. So we'll let you go first, then we'll go to Alex, then we'll go to James, and then we'll go to Cody. Yeah, uh, thanks, Curtis. Um, and First and foremost, beautiful thread. I think you hit a lot of the pain points. Um, but the one thing I wanted to bring up is um, what I did think about the fire movement is it seems as though it's a, an escape. Um, and I say that in the sense that people um, that tend to lean towards fire and get super motivated, I'll, I'll even raise my hand that this was a, a part of it too, was um, they're, they're running away from something. Right, they're they're leveraging all their income and you know, investments and everything along the lines to run away to potentially greener pastures or something better, right? And I associate it with like trying to find a better job, right? There, there could be some certain, and there's also you know the hate with you know people vilifying their their nine to five, like you wrote in the thread. And I think leveraging fire as the ultimate goal can completely misconstrue your why and everything that goes along with it that you you lose the process and you lose the love of, of, of your actions to get to financial independence and a lot of people run away from it not knowing what that next step looks like um and I, you know I, I love the you know the re rethink the rat race and, and, and them vividly describing what their life is now right and you know that that's all good because it's it's something that we all can relate to but people that are striving for fire, they have not set any goals of what that RE part, that retire early part looks like. And I, I think it's, you know, a, a part of the fire movement that I dislike is you know, people think of it as strictly as an escape. So, Yeah, I love I love that, Justin. And, and that's been one of my things that I know when I got into it, it was an escape for me in many cases because of different frustrations and things I was going to. 
And I think I didn't necessarily do this in every point in the thread, but I think we can look at all these things and we can use them and twist, turn them around to be things that can then teach us and how to appropriately approach that. Uh, so Alex, you were up next. Go ahead. Thanks, Curtis. Um, I got to say, my the thing I like least about the fire movement that in quotes is more the perception of the fire movement than the than the fire movement itself. Now, in my opinion, and this could just be me, the fire movement is a very wide range. Everything from the person who's blogging and saving 70% of their income, living off of 30%, you know, renting out every single room in their house and living in their basement. It's everything from that all the way to the person that the only thing they do is save 30% in their 401k. Instead of doing the 10%, the 15%, they just do 30. And that 30% will allow them to retire at 55 instead of 65. That, to me, is also fire. You know, you're saving that extra percentage so that you're financially independent earlier and you can retire earlier. My problem is that when people think of fire, they think of the guy that's saving 70% and eating ramen for every single meal and not the full spectrum. And then you've got really the extremists that are getting all the attention, with this, which there's nothing wrong. If you want to go the extremist route and you have a plan, whatever, go for it. Personal finance is, personal finance is personal. You do you. My biggest problem with FIRE is that everyone says, oh, the FIRE movement is horrible. The FIRE movement, those people don't... Most of those broad generalizations refer to the extremists and don't really give the full consideration of everyone that are on the full spectrum of FIRE. For sure. Okay. Um, James, go ahead. You were up next. Yeah, so... um... I think that there are two points that I don't like about it. It's the uh, the vilifying of the job, right? Uh, there's a couple of perspectives in that that it's it's very easy at the beginning when you first find out about fire. You're because it to me it like opened my eyes. There's a different you know way of life that I could follow, right? Um, I don't have to be at my job all the time. And so at that point, I thought that working was the worst thing in the world, right? But once you get to the point where you're essentially coast fi, you've got fu. You're kind of on the cusp of actually being fi. You know, the the work actually takes much less effort, um, and it doesn't bother you nearly as much, right? On a day to day basis, like you can just think, well, I could leave tomorrow. Like this isn't that bad, and it makes everything much more tolerable. Um, and so that to me is a, a big aspect of the vilifying of work. And um, just to touch on the previous point that was mentioned, like the, you know, the outliers uh, of the fire movement that, you know, are, you know, like, like uh, he was mentioning renting out every room in their house and they're sleeping in their van and they're, you know, eating ramen and stuff like that. The problem is that those are the people that are actually willing to post their stories, right? The, the regular, you know, investor who is investing, you know, uh, 30%, they're maxing out their 401k, which is still great, especially from like a day-to-day perspective uh, from everybody else that you encounter that doesn't even know what their 401k is or doesn't even realize that if 401k itself isn't the investment, it's just the vehicle that the investment is in. Um, and so to me, that that story isn't sexy enough to get posted on MarketWatch or, you know, get talked about on a podcast because that's just everybody's everyday story. And unfortunately, that doesn't get a lot of clicks. Um, but that story achieves fire in the same way that they want to, right? They, if they want to take the slow and steady path, then that's perfectly fine too. 
Um, so I just think that that's a, that's a perspective that, you know, it's all about clicks. It's all about, you know, uh, making an extreme story. And if they can vilify everybody in fire to make them seem like everybody has done this, then what they do is they make it very easy for other people to say, well, I'm not willing to do that. And so I can't do fire, right? If I'm not willing to sleep in my van while my place is rented out, then I can't be fire, which isn't true. Obviously, like you said, there's a spectrum to the whole thing. For sure. And I think it, it unintentionally is demotivating to, to a certain group of people and it's not the right message to send in so many cases. And, and obviously that's, um, that's not the people that are doing its fault. That's no one's fault necessarily. It's just the nature of the way our, our media and the way things are shared in today's world. So, uh, Cody, uh, you were up next, go ahead. Sure. So I want to share, um, the biggest misconception to me actually like from the five five communities perspective is um is really the, the all about the the four percent rule like i think that yeah the white paper like the banging white paper like it's it's blown up into this oh just like multiply your expenses times 25. i mean first of all we can kind of toss away like there's there's tax implications of distributions and stuff but uh besides that the four percent rule one thing that i'm seeing with families that want to be you know they're not going to be fi like anytime within the next year or so Let's say that they're they're working to be financially independent within ten years or so. The thing is, they're using they're thinking about the 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 four percent rule as if they stopped working today. Um, we know that the four percent rule is adjusted for inflation historically, but the the, the issue with the four percent rule is that um, families within the five community uh, are not adjusting their five number for inflation between now and actually when they're going to be financially independent. So if they're not accounting for inflation. And that 10 years to reaching five, again, like their first of all, their expenses are going to be different at that point, uh, which is probably the, the biggest misconception about fire probably is people assume that their expenses are going to be the same or less uh, when they retire. But along with that, the 4% rule, um, we're not accounting for inflation to five. We're only thinking about inflation like, up, like upon that point. Um, and w- along with the 4% rule, I think a big, a, a big kind of planning misconception is uh, we the FI community really underappreciates the power of cash flow flexibility, right? The ability to control, really to have access to cash flow in a flexible manner in early retirement. So the FI, the FI community, a lot of us do that kind of bucketing approach of, hey, we're going to max out this, then this, then this. And we usually do it solely based, I mean, besides getting the employer match, which is awesome, we, we really focus on tax deferral um, rather than what cash flow flexibility is going to look like in early retirement. If somebody retires at 45 and all their money is in, you know, all their money is in a, um, a pre-tax 401k, traditional 401k, right? People would ultimately tell me, oh, well, you're going to do Roth first, right? But then you have to think about, okay, well, I have to have at least five years of cash to, you know, to actually implement those conversions, pay the taxes in those conversions outside of the retirement account itself to avoid penalty. But then again, if I'm doing Roth conversion ladders and that's my only strategy that I'm planning for, I actually have no cash flow flexibility to spend more, more than I originally planned. So I'm, yes, I have five years maybe saved up in taxable brokerage accounts, but I'm always just like, you know, it's a, it's only a five year ladder. So I'm just like, I'm kind of stretched, you know, I'm stretched pretty thin um, in a way by, by always one year behind uh, myself. And to me, to me, like living kind of year to year or even five years at a time really doesn't, um, that really doesn't acknowledge the independence, part of financial independence. 
So I think just a big, big misconception. Um, you've probably heard the phrase, you know, you don't let the tax tail wag the dog. Uh, a lot of families in the FI community, they're so focused on tax deferral and paying the least amount of taxes that by the time they retire early, yes, they, you know, they can control their taxes, but they, but they don't have enough access to the income to, to maintain their desired lifestyle. And also that, that lifestyle may be a lot more inflated right, than they, they might have thought, whether it's medical. I just assume that what we spent this year is what we're going to spend for the next sometimes 30 years, not thinking about, again, something uh, a lot of um, families in the five community kind of don't think about is we focus on, uh, sorry, uh, we focus on emergency funds kind of on the path to five. But once people are financially independent, they kind of forget that there's still financial emergencies. Just because you've dropped your financial emergency of income loss, there's still tons of other uh, personal risks that are involved, um, whether it's, you know, uh, deductibles, uh, disability, right? There's, there's just so many other variables that if you have additional cash flow flexibility, um, you, you can remain independent and not feel forced to go back to work, at least, you know, maybe one spouse or, um, you know, going back to work if something happens. Yeah, Cody, that's an awesome, that's an awesome point. FI Squirrel, were you going to be in response to Cody? Uh, no, kind of on a general topic of what everyone's been saying. I can I can wait till uh, after the neighbor. Okay, we'll let him go, and then we'll come back to you. I just wanted to make sure. Um, all right, the the neighborhood finance guru, go ahead. I'm definitely not a guru. I'm just a guy. <laughs> so uh, with that being said, I did pull out a clipboard and started writing, you know, frantically my hate message. But in truth, the only biggest issue I've ever seen with just listening to the, these stories is the ghost spouse. It's as if, and especially it's, it kind of falls, I've seen women do it, but I see a lot more men do it where they just almost, they're the ones, they're the they're celebrity, they're the, they're the face, they figure this thing out by themselves in some way, shape or form as if their their spouse doesn't exist. I think that's one of the biggest, at least for me, I find that a little bit distasteful because there is a lot of uh, sacrifice that the team does to actually get to that point. And then sometimes you really don't see the other person and what the other person is really contributing to the, the family's success. Um, I guess another thing I'd say is that um, um, it's a lot of times too you see, or you hear the, the, the speech, the stories, yeah, you can all do this. Then you hear that as like a, a five figure or six figure inheritance. And in my community, we don't even have any inheritance. When our grandmother passed away, she left me a letter and that was it. If anything I have is just the memories of her and some of the lessons I learned along the way. But there's literally nothing there to really cement this besides like, it seems a, a lot of times that um, this movement itself lends itself to people that already had um, some level of uh, support from their families before and even some level of support when their family passed away. So in some ways, it just seems not um, accessible to the masses. And it's somehow, you know, like your entire thread, you kind of listed it out and verbatim because there's just a lot of celebrityism behind it. There's a lot of push to this is how you can do it. But a lot of people themselves are earning way above the medium, way of, you know, in the top 10, top 5%, 100, 150K a year. Then we're like, oh, okay, how is this attainable? I think it still is, but I think a lot of the, the people with the pizzazz that's up there are the engineers or, or the tech person or the person that had some level of um, supernatural success. So I think that's my biggest issue with um, FI. And at least on a personal level, my wife, she has type 1 diabetes. We do consider we're going to be fine. We're going to get out of there. We're going to do what we need to do. But ultimately, I don't think the movement itself really lends um, to other people 
that have um, significant health issues that we have to kind of factor into our retirement plan. So it's one of those little things that's in there that I just don't necessarily think that resonates too well. And that's where I land with mine. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I, that you said is awesome there. I appreciate everything that you said. I think we so often forget how privileged we are to even be having these conversations, to be able to even think about that. And so I think it's a, it's a good reflection uh, to kind of add on to yours. Um, FI Squirrel, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to say a great point about the ghost spouses. I never even thought about that, how so often these are team team accomplishments that one person gets a lot of credit for. So excellent point on that. Um, my first point would be my beef with kind of the FIRE movement would just be more on the critics side of things, how I think everybody likes to really point the finger and be the retirement police and say they're not retired because they have money or just really harp on the retirement portion. And I think it's such a closed minded way of thinking. Um, I can't remember who it was before. Someone made mention about the acronym. Maybe the flaw in the whole movement is that people get really hung up in that retirement part. That's why I'm FI squirrel, not fire squirrel, because to me, the retirement part is very minor as far as what the whole movement It's not about that status of retiring and quitting and giving everyone the finger and being done with work. I don't think that's what it's about. I think it's about bettering your situation, building options for yourself, reducing your stress, giving you time with family, loved ones. So I guess that's my second point is that to me, it's, it's all about that FI, that first half. And people need to stop being so literal and trying to say that person doesn't count because they have blogging income or that person doesn't count because they received inheritance when their family member passed away. Like I think a lot of those kind of things can be a lot more about the person pointing the finger than they are about the flaw of the movement. I think that we need to stop worrying about comparing our sort of people's privilege is very, very good point. I agree that like it's very easy for someone to wave the flag and say, I did it, I'm incredible, but have a 200K a year income and, and have a trust fund or an inheritance. I see that point. But I think saying the movement's kind of not great or discrediting the movement just because people are feeling, in a way, upset that they don't have the same circumstances other, have, other people have, I think that might be a wrong approach. That's more of something to do with ourselves and our own desires and our own wishes that we had what others had. But I think at the root of it, the whole point of this movement is about, again, bettering your situation, giving yourself options. It's To me, it has nothing to do with status at all. It has, it has everything to do with being able to follow passions and not be stressed and not worry about losing your job and having time to go help other people. So I think it's all in how people frame the way they view FIRE or FI. If you're viewing it purely about a status symbol of not having to work anymore and being above others because you've escaped the rat race, to me, that's that's not the way I choose to look at it. I choose to look at it as a way to better yourself and the world around you. Yeah, I think I think it's a point. I think it's a point well taken. The the counter to that is is I don't. I think a lot of the pushback is is not spoken about. I guess in the way that it's intended, because I think a lot of the pushback ends up being 
because of the lack of transparency, because people share their message as if they're this person that has done this thing. And it's not to discount that they did it because it's no matter how you got there, it's a celebration that you got there and that you did it. But I think it's, it's, and it's some of that goes back to the media because it's the stories that they will then elevate. And so I think that's for me where some of that comes in is, is it comes into that lack of transparency and uh, lack of specific details. Because when you do that, you, you then end up framing these narratives as anyone can do it or, or this is the way it'll look. But then when you get into the nuts and bolts of some people that have shared their stories rather publicly, there's specific details that have been left out that they aren't displaying their income or they aren't appropriately um, communicating things. And, and I think I don't want to it's not necessarily to police and say that that's wrong, uh, that they did it that particular way. It's just more that I think that lack of transparency can hurt, especially when we're so public about the RE part. And I think that's where that comes in. Um, I don't know who was next as far as Lauren or James, because I, I looked and both their hands are kind of up at the same time. Uh, so either one of you shoot. Go ahead, Lauren. I was just going to say with the fire movement, I am sick and tired of answering this question. Like, what are you going to do? Like literally anything else than work for somebody else. Like, I, I don't, I don't know how to say this anymore. Clearly, I, you know, and I, I don't want to rant like I did last time. That was bad. But, you know, like I'm going to manage my vacation rentals. I'm going to hang out with my mom and nieces and nephews. I'm going to read. I'm going to, I'm going to do financial coaching. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to play volleyball. I'm going to play pickleball. I'm going to go out on the boat. I'm going to travel. I'm going to shop. I'm going to cook like literally anything else and sit at a desk. Like I, I don't understand why I continually am asked this question. Um, so that's my little rant. John, you're definitely right um, about and how I feel. If somebody gets a trust fund, they still could have blown it. You know what I mean? Like even if you end up pretty well off or you start pretty well off, it still says something that you take what you had and you still do the best you can with it. Um, and I do think that people that criticize the fire movement, it is a defense mechanism because if they can criticize it and if they can belittle it, then they can justify to themselves why they can't do it. So that's my two cents over to you, James. Yeah, um, I was just going to kind of piggyback on, I mean, exactly what you were talking about and what Squirrel was talking about. Um, as far as like, you know, it's it's very easy, obviously, like we mentioned, like all these great success stories, right? And this is not for me to be braggadocious, like to say, you know, like, it, but genuinely, I feel like if I could do it, just about anybody could do it, right? Like, I do not... I, I am not one of these people that is going to talk about generational wealth, right? Because I've had to hire my mother to clean our Airbnbs so that me and my siblings don't have to continue to give her money, right? Like we've had cars repossessed. We've had like, uh, I mean, I grew up in a single family household. My mom is deaf, right? So it's not even like a situation where if she gets a little bit more education, she can kind of pull herself up, right? Um, which she very well could, but at the same time, like it's not a realistic expectation of her. I just are like what, what her life is going to be like. And so what that means to me is that I have to create opportunities for my family, right? So if I was really into the fire movement earlier, 
then I might have been one of these people to say like, oh, well, you know, look at these people. Like they they succeeded because they had really high jobs as political consultants, right? Um, or they had, you know, really high paying jobs as whatever, whatever, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Everybody gets paid more, right? Um, I mean, I literally went from <laughs> working at a gym. I was a janitor at a gym. And within a few years, I was managing physical therapy clinics with an associate's degree, right? And so this is not a four-year degree. This is not like – and so I'm, I'm here saying that, like, I did not receive any inheritance. I house hacked. I drove old-ass cars that, like, would rattle around everywhere I went. I biked to work, right? And so I, I cut corners every way I could just to create opportunities for myself and for my family, right? Like if anybody's providing generational wealth, it's going the opposite direction. I'm paying for my mom's retirement plan, right? Um, and so it's just to say that if you look outwardly and say, I mean, comparison is the thief of joy, obviously, right? So by looking at other people and saying, you know, I don't have the pay that they have. I don't have the opportunities that they have, right? Well, doing is you're essentially making excuses for yourself um, or, I mean, and that's okay. Like some people that's perfectly fine. Right. Um, the other opportunity is to say like, if someone could do this, then I have the same wherewithal to do that. Right. The fact that we're all here on smartphones talking about fire just goes to show how privileged everyone in this conversation is. The fact that we can have money conversations, right. I did not grow up in a house where a retirement account was a thing. Like we were happy to have a car in the driveway that wasn't repossessed. So you know, the, the information is out there and available for everyone that wants to access it. And whether or not they do is a completely different thing. You know, some people need to receive the message in the right time from the right person in the right way. And that's my goal is to try to, you know, convey that to people, right? Uh, a lighthouse doesn't run all over the island searching for people to save, right? It is there as a beacon and people can come if they need to. Yeah, I appreciate that. And that's that's a very, very good word. J-Rod, Jared, you are up next. You can go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, if, there, if there was one thing that I could just mention to the, you know, to say had uh, five seconds uh, the attention of the whole world or you could get a billboard or something like that, what would you put on it? I would put that fire is uh, customizable and there's different types of your uh, specific goals and needs, and, and that's that's something that gets missed a lot. And um, so, like me personally, uh, as I said earlier, I'm I'm focusing more on the the, the five side rather than the retire early. And uh, and, and what people miss is, uh, you know, these people that retire uh, before the traditional retirement age. I mean, that's still technically fire, right? So. And that, if there's one thing that uh, my account is about, is kind of that part of it. Is and, and it often just takes just a little bit of intentionality and a little bit of compromise to chat and just make it to where it's it's palatable for way more people. So uh, I just wanted to say that, and because I think that's that's missed a lot, and you know we've we've already mentioned that you know fire is. Uh, often portrayed in the media as uh, you know the people that live off the ramen and live in the the, the trailers or whatever, uh, but, but it, it needs to be shown more as possible for everyone. 
and, and there's going to be a degree of sacrifice. There's going to be a degree of compromise in every situation. And I think that's, that's where people uh, often just completely dismiss it because in our society, you know, everybody's all about consumption and uh, having what they want now, and, and they don't want to do what it takes even for the uh, you know, retiring you know, at like 45 or 50. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to, to mention that real quick. No, it's a good point. I think I think that we often uh, get stuck on some of these examples, and I think seeing the variability is super helpful because that's what's helped me in my journey. Um, Jack, I'll come to you here in a second, but I haven't. Uh, I I wanted to give my beef since I hadn't uh, given my beef yet. I I just been so focused on uh, wanting to hear from y'all and and just all the great things you have to say. So I'll make this quick, but for me, uh, I think, I think the the attention that the fire movement has been has gotten has been great, but I think some of the reframing of um, of financial independence is really just a reframing of what wealth generation is, and I that's really what most of us are on is we're on a wealth generation or wealth building journey, and so I think. I think part of the reason that there's a confusion is just because there are so many options. And I think that sometimes makes it hard for people to really make heads or tails. So I think for me, that's one of my biggest things. The other thing, which is truly where I can get on a rant and I can go off is people think, and they look at this journey as if it will make you happy. And the reality is is your happiness is not going to come from your financial outcome or from whatever your end destination is. And I think there's, there's studies that prove this out, but it's like after a certain income level, your happiness level does not go up. And so I think the reality is, is most people seeking this fire goal are past that level. If they're able to save, they're past that level of achieving additional happiness from their money. And I think uh, for me, this was crystallized in my mind because I was in a job that I didn't necessarily hate the job, but it was an extremely stressful job. And so I was unhappy because the amount of stress and back and forth that happened in that job. And what I see is a, from so many people so often is a reaction of, well, if this will change, I will finally be happy. If this will happen, I will be happy. And I took probably a two-year journey in that job of trying to determine, was my unhappiness strictly because of that job or was my unhappiness just my internal unhappiness, unsettledness with where I was? And after that journey, there were things in that didn't weren't followed through on and things that didn't happen. And so I made the decision to change. And, but it was because of the journey that I did all along the way, the internal work that I did, that I was able to determine that job really what was, was what was one of the roots of my unhappiness. But even when I left that job, I still had residual personal things, personal, you could call it traumas, but I don't want to I don't, it wasn't that serious, but you, you get what I mean of personal things that I still had to deal with that just leaving that job 
was not going to create happiness. It was then the work I did afterwards that then created that happiness. And I think too often people hyper-focus on some of these goals. And it's just the nature because I've done it too. We've all done it. And I think when you hyper-focus, we end up making ourselves more miserable today on this promise of happiness in the future. But what we should really be seeking all along is happiness right now. And that the the end goal of that should then be um, that we are in a happy state and then we achieve our goal. And then that just increases our ability. Now we're getting to do what we actually want to do. So so that's um, that's probably my biggest beef because I think uh, it's just our human nature to put our happiness, lay our happiness on the backs of inanimate objects, of objects that are outside of us and say, if this happens versus taking control of that ourselves and, and realizing that we're the main driver of that. Um, so Jacques, sorry to make you wait there, but um, you had raised your hand earlier, so I appreciate you joining us. I uh, would love to hear your perspective. Sure, definitely. Uh, no, and I appreciate uh, what, what you just mentioned, Curtis, about kind of the framing. Uh, I think for me, what I think, and I'm certainly not the first person to say this on this call, but I think that the framing is the issue. I think that one of the things that drives people away from the five um, flash fire community is that so much of the external talk and a fair amount of the internal conversations focus on the how or the how much um, and not on the why. And I think for me, it, I'm in an interesting position because I don't think that I would you know, describe myself to anyone necessarily as pursuing fun. But it is through, and, and certainly not, you know, looking to retire early, but it's been through a lot of the FIRE community resources, podcasts, uh, choose if I afford anything. And I think, you know, for me, one that has really stuck uh, is Vicky Robin and your money or your life. And the idea of money being an equivalent to a unit of life uh, and a unit of time. And I think what that has done for me is really allowed me to, to decouple income and how much you know I'm making, how much our family is making uh, from what we're spending. It on. Uh, and I think it has helped me to become a lot more intentional. Um, you know, and, and my wife and I, you know, when we think about, you know, when we have money beyond um, kind of meeting basic expenses or meeting the sort of, you know, um, you know, not necessarily essentials, but that next level of comfort, you know, and there's money beyond that, not, just you know necessarily thinking to keep up with the joneses or to you know get a great meal at the great new restaurant but thinking about what else that money can do and so i think it's allowed me to think about um the money and income uh, and and wealth in a way of what purpose is it going to serve and i know for me you know i'm in a position now where i'm making more than the 22 year old me would have expected to make when i was in my early 40s and i've had sort of a golden handcuff situation of being concerned about leaving uh, this particular role for something that I would find more personally satisfying uh, and taking a significant pay cut. And so I think one of the things that I've been able to do by being able to invest more, being able to save more, being able to make those decisions to lower expenses and not spend all of what we're making is to create that freedom and to create that space. So I certainly tend to think of it as financial freedom being the opposite operative word and that financial flexibility, but also, you know, when I think of what I is, it's that being in a position where I can think about 
um, you know, and my, my wife and I can think together about what we want to be able to do and are we in a position to be able to do it? And if not, what kinds of different choices can we make? And then, you know, if we're comfortable, where can we put that money, whether it's through charity, whether it's through helping family, uh, other ways and just giving us that piece. And I think, I can't remember if you were the one or if it was uh, somebody else who mentioned, you know, a lot of the way that FI is being reframed is talking about wealth creation. I personally have always had a difficult time with the word wealth. Uh, you know, I grew up in a family uh, with five kids on a single music teacher salary. Um, and I was resentful of people who came from money and, and certainly people who came from family money. And so as long as I was thinking about, um, you know, net worth and building, um, you know, building a financial position in terms of wealth, that was something that I gravitated away from. Uh, and just thinking about the purpose of money and what it allows to do and what it translates into has really allowed me to change my mindset um, and think about that in terms of how does it allow different kinds of choices uh, and allow you know, living into our values. No, it's a great, that's a great word. And um, glad we got to hear your pup too. Uh, appreciate that he got to add to the conversation. So, uh, and, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to say that. And I, I just, I think what you, what you talked about there is, is so so important as far as um we're we're all on this journey and i think just realizing that and and really being able to put things into place so i appreciate what you had to say uh cody go ahead yeah i love it everybody's saying uh so curtis and Jacques. um so Jacques, you just mentioned i i don't like um i think so many of us are focused not just in the five community but just overall we're focused on what do and how to do it but not going into deep, deep enough into why we're doing it. Um, I think a big reason for this, uh, as somebody mentioned earlier, the compar comparison is the thief of joy. And there's a lot of judgment within the community. And I think the reason for this is a lot of people are finding the fire community and the fight community from like really, uh, it's, it's actually like, like a few stepping stones ahead of where they've come from other really dogmatic personal fi finance frameworks. So like, you know, like, Personally, like I, uh, like like a lot of people, we kind of found found Dave Ramsey, right? And then we kind of moved, you know, we came, came Dave-ish, and then kind of moved forward. Uh, but um, really, personal finance media that all of us listen to, and you know, really works really dogmatic, one-size-fits-all advice that's telling people what to do, rather than actually providing education to help us make our own well-informed decisions, right? And then along with that, not just making you know, well-informed, like technical financial decisions, but ultimately in, in alignment with our personal desired outcomes. So I think many of us, when we when we find the FIRE movement, or we discover it, We uh, most of the resources we find are primarily focused on the technical, like the 4% rule, like the, the technical aspects, you know, how much I should save each year, again, what to do and how to do it, but there aren't enough resources at the top of the stack. Some people don't get deep enough into the stack of you know, all the five content to get to the, the why. I love what you mentioned about Vicki Robin. Uh, that's one of the first books I read, the, uh, Your Life. It made me think differently about money in terms of time. You know, when you kind of, uh, part of that book was really calculating, like the, um, really how much you're paid, you know, on an hourly basis, like not just when you're sitting in the seat at work, but really like the amount of time and effort you spend even thinking about work, right, really is kind of, you know, comes into that time. But, um, Again, I, I think it's because most of us in all areas of life, we're, we're only um, 
we surround ourselves with a lot of dogmatic one size fits all content. And the fire movement has been just one more of those communities that's hit by that because we like to very, think very binary, you know, politically and otherwise, where it's like, you know, there's always a right way and a wrong way to do everything. Whereas I think that the great thing about the true philosophy of, of FI to me is about having a values-based intentionality and that everybody, yeah, like all of you have been saying, which is beautiful, is that we all have our own individual paths to FI. Again, like, and not just that we're on the path, the same, at the same destination, we all, we, we all should really go deeper to discover not just the destination. There's a, there's a quote I use all the time, which is we have to understand where we are before determining where to go and how to get there. Whereas most, you know, most families, including myself, I get this way within the five community, we're always thinking about like where we're going without realizing kind of like where we're starting. So we end up just going down these rabbit holes of learning what to do and how to do it, but don't actually know why we're doing it to begin with. Holy smokes, Cody. So this is the thing, this is for me, this is my word from here is values-based intentionality. I love that so much. I'm claiming that as mine and you can't ever use it again because that is amazing. Just... <laughs> go for it, go for it. <laughs> no, I love, I love that. And I think, you know, I, I just, I love everything that you said there. So appreciate that. Um, just appreciate you being here tonight. And if I squirrel, go ahead. And then we'll go to Daniel. I really need to start bringing a notepad to these things because there's so many good things to talk about. I forget about half of them as I go. Uh, touching on what you were saying, Curtis, about how it seems like uh, certain outlier cases get really shone in the spotlight and people really focus on the escape your job in eight years headline or the clickbaity titles, the books that have a headline that really hooks someone in to sell and how it's unfortunate that that's kind of what leads. But my kind of counter to that is, isn't that necessary in a way? Like, I know it's not the most accurate representation, but that is the best way to get a message out. I wouldn't have found any of the stuff I got really into if someone's headline didn't make me click or someone's book title didn't make me pick it up. So I think it's all it's all well and good to start and sell, sell it that way. Uh, touching more on what Lauren was saying about how that can be a cult for people to say like, well, that's never going to be me and just make a, a thousand excuses why their scenario is different and that's never going to work for them. That's unfortunate because in my opinion, the beauty of Phi is that someone who is three months into their journey and they've crushed a bunch of debt has won. They've already won. Someone who's one week into their journey and read a book, they've won. They've already changed their life forever just by opening their eyes to this content. So if it takes some elaborate clickbait one-off story to get someone to pick up an article and read it, I'm all for that because I think it's at least getting that message out there because it's kind of like index funds and stock picking. Index funds don't get talked about everywhere. Like we know it, this crowd, this room knows it because we've read our books and done our homework, but it doesn't get the respect it deserves because it's boring and people aren't going to read a book on that. They're not going to pay money to get to do a course on index funds. It, it's few and far between. This is similar with, with FI and fires that without giving you those sensational stories of you could be that person too, there's just going to be way less people. So I think if that's what it takes, I'm all for it because again, there's no losing. Once you start that journey, if you want to hit whatever goal by year five, 10 or 50, doesn't really matter because if you fail horrifically, 
as long as you're on day two or week two or whatever, you you're better off. And that's kind of what I keep talking about, about how this is about bettering your situation. And there's no real failing in FI. Like if it takes you longer, it takes, takes longer. If the market crashes, you wait longer. If you got to work an extra four years because you actually love your job and you don't want to leave, no harm, no foul. You are in such a good place. Like I'm technically, our family's five, but I'm not motivated to be leaving my job because I enjoy it most of the time. I like people. I'm not quite sure what I want to do yet. Once I find that, I'm sure I'll, I'll be drawn to leaving my regular job. But I think it just, people need to focus on the fact that it's every step is a step forward. And yeah, maybe you're not going to be the same person that is a grand sabache with 60 cents in his account and then retires in five years or whatever. Like we don't all have to be that person. The fact is, is just starting and teaching others and getting other people to join. Like the world would be so different if more people would just rather than put up excuses and a cope and say, that's stupid. That's extreme. I hate that. They just tried it and just even committed 5% of the way it's going to help people. Yeah, I appreciate appreciate that perspective. Uh, a lot of great things said there. Uh, Danielle, go ahead. Hi, uh, I, I'm 55. I'm a CPA. And I thought I would just share my own story because I belong to a fire group of all women. And it's not just a group of women on Facebook. It's a group of women that we know each other personally, we meet on zoom every single week for been doing this for over a year. And I just thought, I would maybe try to dispel a few misconceptions because the uh, typical five person is like, I don't know, like what's advertised is like a 38 year old guy with a bunch of Airbnbs or something. I don't know, but we're all women and we're all 50 or, or over. So it's like, we've had our whole life, you know, to save. And none of us got there by the stereotypical five way. Like none of us like lived in a trailer or anything like that. We just, I mean, I'm an accountant. I had a natural inclination to save money since I was in my 20s. And I work, my husband worked. And then I took 15 years off to raise our kids. And we still managed to save enough money to be financially independent. Um, although my husband is still working. So technically, I don't even know if he would say we were retired. I, I mean, I'm kind of in that boat, but he's not. And all of these other women, they're all women that worked and their husbands worked. So when you have two earners in a family, it makes a lot, it makes it a lot easier. And a lot of these women, like they were like me, they were in, they had decent jobs. They have, they were very interested in money. And I think one thing we all have in common was that we were the ones that were in charge of the finances. So there's about 12 or 15 of us in the group. And there's nine of us that are like pretty much show up every week. And all of us, the one thing we have in common is that we are always the ones in charge of the finances. And when I think when the women's in charge of the finances, it's easier because like, I don't, I think women in general are the ones more likely to spend money. I'm not trying to be, I don't know, sexist, but I just think that's true. So if the women want to, or want to be the ones that are the savers, like I'm, you know, I'm not interested in like spending a bunch of money, decorating my house and things like that. I was just saved a lot built up our funds. We never had like huge earnings or huge income. We never house hacked. We never did any of that stuff. We just saved money. And literally, that's literally all we did. Um, but the other thing that we all have in common is that we're all married. They're, we're all married and there's been two incomes. 
and they've had long-term marriages. I think that's really important because if you if you get divorced along the way, that's a huge financial setback. So I just thought that would, would bring that up. The other thing is some a lot of the people don't have a lot of, either they don't have children or they just have a small number of children because having children is really expensive. There's only two of us in the group that have more than two kids. <laughs> I'm one of them. I have three. But I... I my husband had a good job while I was home with the kids, and the other lady is the same boat. Her husband's an attorney, um, and they just saved a lot while he was, you know, he made a lot of money, and they saved a lot. So it really just comes down to saving a lot of money, starting young, saving your money. You don't have to live really low on the hog to get five by the time you're 50. That, that was basically my main point. I just wanted to share that. And the other thing is that somebody brought up about happiness. We talk, we talk every week on a Zoom call, and all we talk about is like what we're doing is happier and more fulfilling and what meditation retreat we're going to go on and things like that. So I do agree that happiness is more important than your finances because once you're kind of already there, the money is kind of not really that important anymore. It's more about relationships. That's Danielle, what I, I, yeah, I love, I love that because you're – and I love – the this is where the diversity of the fire movement is great because I think the perspective that um, what you end up seeing is you see a bunch of young people who are fired up for whatever um, latest thing heard of and so seeing and hearing from people who have gone a more traditional route um, are a little bit older with a little bit more life experience it provides a completely different perspective than what you normally hear so I appreciate uh, you adding that um, I appreciate that perspective because it was. Uh, loved hearing that from you and, and hearing that encouragement of others in your same position. Uh, Jared, go ahead. If Jared's there. Sorry, what was it? Uh, no, J. Jared. Okay, gotcha. had, he'd, ra he'd raised his hand a minute ago, but it sounds like he may have stepped away. He'd mentioned he was might be stepping away, and then he raised his hand. So, um, so many J names. I know too many of them. Uh, so K Crypt, you were up next. You had your hand raised, and we'll go with you. And then after that, we'll kind of do a wrap up question. We're gonna get out of here in probably the next ten to fifteen minutes. I don't want to overstay the other hosts' welcome. I don't want to push them too far, but I appreciate everyone's time on here today. So K Crypt, go ahead. Fabulous. I uh, wanted to say thank you very much for uh, allowing me to speak. And um, this is a really good space. Really nice hearing other people's perspectives. Um, and uh, to be honest, uh, FI Squirrel, I think uh, the sentiment that you have and the, the outlook that you have towards financial independence um, really accurately mirrors my own. I think it's necessary to have the extremes where you see people you know, being able to, I don't know whether... You know, live their lavish lives, having lots of money and being able to do anything they want. Um, it's important to have the extremes on both ends because then within yourself, you know where you would fit in. Um, sometimes there are people that uh, that are you know, self-defeating and will say it's impossible for me to be able to, to get to that level. Um, and there are other people who have come from um, another perspective and they need to see that extreme, the ability to build, you know, unimaginable wealth 
um, in such a short period of time with the correct methods and procedures. Uh, for me, I can only say that um, after paying uh, approximately $90,000 in debt um, and choosing not to default on my payments and potentially be blacklisted, it took me a long time, lots of overtime shifts. It damaged my social relationships. It damaged my uh, my relationships with uh, with partners. It was it was something that I really wanted to understand once I could defeat you know and break the back of of debt because there's nothing more uh, there's nothing that makes your blood boil more than knowing that. The money that you're earning before your payslip or your uh, amount of money reaches your account is already earmarked towards a debtor. It's just chilling remembering the amount of money that that you pay back in debt, whether it's interest or whatever else. And to be honest, I needed those books. I really needed the podcasts. I mean, Dave Ramsey, Chris Hogan, um, uh, Our Rich Journey. Uh, just to name a few. And I went back two, two years to listen to the early content. I wasn't a person that wanted to jump on immediately because I needed to know the, the backstory. And that was the important thing to understand that you will only gravitate towards people that are like you. And, uh, and I'm, I, I won't lie to you, reading books is super important. We're not taught this stuff in school, but there's an, um, you know, there's an agenda behind what is in the school system and everybody knows that. So I don't need to to uh, labor that point but what I will say is I actually enjoy listening to people speak about you know financial independence and even to the extent where I don't agree with them but I just like to hear the perspective because I understand that there are you know, there are people that are on different areas in this spectrum and uh, and I just wanted to say that I, I really appreciate this uh, this group and uh, and FI squirrel honestly um yeah it's uh, really really nice to hear your perspective. Yeah, Kate, thank you for thank you for jumping up and sharing yours as well. Like I said, that's the whole point of this is that we can all hear from each other. We can all learn from each other. Um, I'm uh, extremely uh, grateful that we got to have this conversation. We're not ending yet. We have one more question. But before we go to that question, I want to say, you know, you've heard everyone up here talk and, and everyone has added so much to this conversation. Uh, and and J-Rod has left, but um, for everyone that's still on and then including J-Rod, I would encourage you to go follow these accounts if you're not following them. They're going to add a lot to your timeline, especially if you're seeking out something in this financial independence journey. Truthfully, I'm probably the worst one to follow for that because I've moved some of my content away from financial independence stuff. But all of these up here are going to be great giving you amazing advice um i just appreciate everyone that stopped by so we'll wrap up on these a two-part question um and everyone that wants to raise their hand can add to this conversation here so the two-part question is first what is your favorite fire resource whether that's a current or past or whatever that looks like could be a podcast book could be a person, just someone that you love to follow that's specifically fire related. Um, you can, you know, 
tell us who that is and, and maybe it's someone we don't know about. Maybe it's someone that is one of our favorites. And then the second part to that is if you could give one piece of advice to someone getting started or wanting to explore their fire journey, what would that piece of advice be? So if you're interested in answering, you can go ahead and raise your hand. We'll go around and <clears throat> K-Crypt will let you go since you hopped right up there. Go ahead. Thanks, Curtis. I appreciate it. I think uh, if I was to give one resource, it would be the YouTube channel of uh, Our Rich Journey. Um, to be honest, there were a lot of terms that were so new to me, um, you know, being more of a of a debt slave for a good 10 plus years, I realized that money has defeated me. And in order for me to get into a position of my level of happiness or understanding of it, it's important that I learn how to master money. Um, you know, I, I, I will slip a, a, another one in there and reading books is very important. Uh, the Richest Man in Babylon was a really pivotal moment for me. Um, and it wasn't until I understood that I can never work enough hours um, and as strong as your money can work for you. Uh, and it was those two resources that were really uh, you know, fantastic for me on my journey. And um, to, uh, to answer the, the second part of the question, uh, Curtis, I'm not going to lie, I've forgotten the second part of the question. No, it's fine. It was, if you could tell one thing to someone getting started on the fire journey, what would it be? Ah, yes. Uh, read. I, I just, you have to increase your financial literacy. If you're not a, a reader, then listen, listen to podcasts. Don't like listening or don't have the time. You have to make time, but you have to increase your financial literacy. It's super important. Thank you. I love it. That's close to my heart as those who have had know me know. Uh, so I really appreciate that uh, we had James up next. And so go ahead. So um, the resources, what, what I like to do is it also depends on, you know, who I'm talking to, right? In this situation, I don't know exactly who I'm talking to in the group. So I'm just going to give a scatter shot. So as far as uh, accounts, I personally like Money Honey Rachel on Instagram. Um, she has a lot of information. She does a lot of real estate related things, but it's also just like general, um, education, but it's also entertaining. And so to me, that's a big part of it, right? Um, you know, an account can have all the information in the world and it'd be incredibly boring or, you know, hard to consume and that's not helpful at all. So that's an Instagram account that, that I personally like. Um, as far as websites go, I really like root of good. Um, Justin from Root of Good has a lot of information and he's like an OG guy of fire. He posts net worth updates every month. He's very transparent with his numbers. Um, it's a family, I believe, of five living in Raleigh, North Carolina. And so it's a, an experience that a lot of people can, can understand and relate to. And then um, if I could give any advice to anyone what I would say is track your spending. That to me was like the, the biggest eye-opening thing, just starting that aspect and like seeing where money was just creeping out of that, you know, I had no idea that it was seeping out of all these places. And 
until I had a firm grasp and understanding which money I actually spent. Until then, you don't know how much you need to fire, right? I mean, if you're spending, if you believe that you're spending 40 grand a year, right? And you think that the million, like the, you know, 25X, the 4% rule is going to hit it. And you're actually not spending 40 grand a year. You're actually spending 60 or eight, um, or you're spending less, you know, it, it gets a baseline of where to start and knowing where your money's going. It also helps you either cut back on certain things or, you know, know how much you can invest immediately. So that to me was the biggest factor uh, in leading to our financial independence was tracking our spending. Love it, James. And and if you're not following James, rethink the rat race encourage you to follow, um, follow them. Next up was, I'm just going to say FI squirrel because I came back and three hands are up and I don't know whose was first. So FI squirrel, go ahead. Thanks, man. Uh, if I had to give a resource, I think if anyone knows that someone might be slightly interested in money, uh, my favorite book to get people just started in personal finance is called The Latte Factor by David Bach. It's a parable. and It's so easy for people to get the foundational steps and get interested. If you're already into FIRE and you're pretty dedicated, uh, my favorite resource is Quit Like a Millionaire by Christy and Bryce Shen. I think they're a Canadian couple and they kind of document everything they've done, lots of practical advice. Uh, so those are the two books. Um, but I also just read obviously and then uh, lots of good stuff out there and then as far as what i would tell people uh james just stole my heart by saying my favorite of tracking i'm all about tracking cash flow and net worth and just trying to keep an eye on numbers and spending uh so i guess my next next best answer would be find someone to partner up with uh to not do this journey alone i think a lot of people if they try and do it by themselves, they might lose momentum. They might not be accountable. So try and find a network or a group. Um, what that guest said earlier about having a women's group, that's incredible. That's next level. You don't hear that very often. So whether it be a women's group you're comfortable with or some Twitter friends, uh, make a group. I've toyed with the idea of just having a once a month check-in group on whether it's this platform or somewhere else, just where people can do their their updates and have something to be accountable to. So find someone, do the journey alone. Love it. When you can always do the journey with other people, it's a great way to stay committed to that journey. So uh, Cody, go ahead. Yeah, I'll go quick since I see a few hands up. Um, so favorite fire resource just last week. Uh, if, you, if you listen to choose a five podcast, there's a guy who talks about taxes a lot. He's known as the tax, uh, the five tax guy. Uh, Sean, Sean Mulaney, he just launched a, a YouTube uh, a YouTube channel last week that's like just kind of three minute financial education on different topics. And I'm sure he's going to dive more into the five, you know, the five specific uh, tax topics. Uh, one piece of advice for someone beginning their journey, it's actually a non-financial piece of advice, which is ask yourself, uh, ask yourself the question, what do you hope to do more of when you retire early? And then once, you know, once you had that, uh, you know, written down, how can you do more of that even now while you're working, right? Don't think that all the things that you want to do when you retire, don't have a scarcity, like a limited mindset thinking you can't, that there's this, there's this barrier between doing what you actually want to do in early retirement. There's probably ways that you can start integrating those things into your life now. Um, and and, then, and then kind of the, the second part of that is start like capture and document all of your thoughts, ideas, and insights. So for example, on this call, when you hear those nuggets go, 
like uh, I think that your courtesy said earlier, values based intentionality, like, you know, like, right when you when you get those like, oh, wow, those shower thoughts or like those, those really valuable insights, like write all those things down, because you know, you're going to go, oh, what was that thing that someone said, like, so document, document your journey. And the thing is documenting just conversations you have with people is also the best source of content creation. If you're if you're going to go start doing any content creation, just simply document your conversations and ideas. Yeah, I love that, Cody, and and um, I just so much value there, and I and I think you know you can be a huge resource for people. So I appreciate you adding and sharing and and on documenting. You know, I'm a big time reader, and it was when I started documenting what I was reading and taking notes that it really changed my life. So absolutely, 100. percent It's it's a huge thing. Uh, Danielle, you were up next. Go ahead. Okay, so for my resource, back in the 1990s, before you know social media was even a thing, I read the book The Millionaire Next Door, and that book was unbelievable. I mean, it just—I don't know—I became obsessed with it, and I just started saving like crazy after I read that book. So that's that's what really got me started. And I just, even though it's kind of an older book. I just think everybody should read that book. The other recent resource is the Choose FI, mainly the, the Facebook page. That's how I met all these women. So one of the women like kind of started another Facebook page just for women. And then within that women's group, like she kind of so, like we kind of did a survey and we sorted out the people that were already FI and this and that. And that's how I met these women. That was a little over a year ago. And it's been amazing because we're all like great, you know, best friends now. And like, you, you want to be friends with people that are in your situation. So I, I think it's really great to join these kind of Facebook groups that kind of where you can meet people that are, you know, have the same value systems and are on the same life path. And then as far as giving advice, as far as when you're talking about somebody who's just starting out, that would be my, my kids. I have a 27-year-old son and a 24-year-old son that off in the workforce, they just started their first jobs. Well, when my my oldest son graduated from college, I told him to pretend that his salary was only was 70% of what his salary was so that he could live on 70%. So he rented an apartment with two other guys, paid a really cheap rent, bought a really crappy used car, and he saved 30% right from the start. And then he started seeing his wealth build. And that's it's been a few years now. Now he saves about 50% of his income. And it was just from just like seeing his money go up. And my second son, he it was he was lucky just to graduate from college. So, you know, he got a job, but it wasn't as high as paying as the first one. But he is saving 20%. And so if he can do it, anybody can do it. That's all I'm gonna say. So I think it's paying yourself first. I'm not a really big fan of the budget thing, even though I am an accountant and I'm really good at budgeting. I just I'm just like if you've already paid yourself 20, 30 percent, whatever your goal is. Who cares where the rest of the money goes? So that's my advice. Nope. And I loved hearing that next generation that's being affected. That's huge, huge, huge. Justin, go ahead. And then we'll go to Kyle, then Heath and Dion. Yeah, thanks. And um, I really appreciate, you know, all the, all the people that came up on the, and, and talked on the panel. I think um, everyone's contribution was, was awesome this evening. Um, you know, a resource for me, and this is a, uh, Kind of a shout out for uh, his blog and uh, everything that he said, but um, I'm a resource for JL Collins. Um, he wrote the book, A Simple Path to Wealth, and was really the spark for 
many um, you know bogleheads and those that just want a simple index-based fund investing. Um, and there's a lot of nuggets there, just how he's seen many different examples. It's also kind of a, a second wave to Vicky Robbins, um, you know, um, uh, Vicky Robbins's book. So um, I would definitely suggest uh, JL Collins's work, um, inspired many of us within the space. Um, and then the advice I would give, um, we talked about this, I think, on the, the last spaces we had, but um, automating your, your finances and investing. Um, so for those that you know are starting out, I mean, I think you know, Danielle, you 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 hit hit it right on, right? You know, if, if you could pay yourself first and remove any friction by automating it within your brokerage account or um, your savings plan, um, anything you could do to just automate for yourself, where you're physically not doing anything like depositing checks or whatever, um, that will save you a ton in the future. And um, I, I think that's that that's probably the the number one rule that many of us would would help preach and and do so thanks it's great um follow justin if you do not he is he's great um he is gonna has a great podcast as well so go listen to that kyle you are next go ahead oh great i appreciate it yeah danielle stole my thunder a little bit so i'm just gonna reiterate what she said about the next door I think that's a great resource for some of the reasons that y'all have discussed on this uh Twitter space already about how sometimes, I think Cody might have mentioned this, sometimes people get too caught up in the minute uh, or in the minutiae, in, in the small little details when really they need to look at the big picture. And so I, I like the idea of people sitting down with something tangible in their hands that they can read and consume at their own pace without a screen in front of them because the millionaire next door really helps open people's eyes to, yes, I can do this too. If this person can do it, I can do it. And it gives them that confidence that they need to get started. And then when they pair that with, you know, whether it's Curtis or Justin or FI Squirrel or Lauren or anyone I'm looking at on my screen right now, you know, digitally and following people on social media, when you kind of do a, a little combo there of reading that book or other books, plus following people on social media and learning about FI, I think that that's a, a great resource to start. And then where should somebody start? I don't want to repeat what everyone else has said, so I'll kind of do a little different twist, which is to invest in your relationship. How many times do we have a fight with our significant other, our boyfriend, our girlfriend, our husband, our wife, our partner, and we bring that into the workforce with us, and that erodes your ability to perform at your peak level. It erodes your ability to wake up early and stay and stay hustling and working late. So I would say it would be great for someone to just reanalyze who's in their circle around partners. Kyle looks like we lost you there for a second. That are gonna help you get go. Whoops, my connection was lost. I don't know. If you're heard you were kind of back. Bit. Yeah, you were you're kind of back in and out. But no, I I think what you're saying was great. I appreciate what you added. Uh, Heath, you were up next. Go ahead. Yeah, I just want to address um, those of you guys that have children. Uh, as soon as your kids get some earned income, um, mowing grass, raking leaves, paper delivery, etc. They can start giving to the Roth IRA. So my kids, I got them all little part-time jobs working for people around age eight. Started um, 50 Bunny, went to their Roth IRAs so that they were able to begin that snowball 
and grow it so that they can have financial independence in their 30s and 40s. I became financial independent in my late 30s, and so they'll be able to get there. As far as books, um, I'm going to say what um, Squirrel said. Autom- I-, I had my three kids read these three books. I'll Teach You to Be Re- Rich by Ramit, um, The Latte Factor, and that deals on how to handle your budgeting, your expenditures, and then The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. Um, every Friday around the dinner table, we had Financial Fridays, and that's where we talk through how to increase your, your salary, how to deal with budgets. And so those three books are well-rounded, and so that's my encouragement. Great, Heath. Thanks for jumping in here today. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Dion, you're next. Go ahead. Hi, Greg. Uh, just thanks. Um, yeah, thanks a lot for your um, spaces, and thanks, everybody. I started laughing after Heath. Just want to say, Heath, you just removed my last book on my list. <laughs> Everybody's got the books down there. And it, it's really great to know that the community that's in that within the spaces fully understand and have the message. And I think if we just continue to publish and, and put things out there, especially on Twitter, really make life easy. Um, I would just, yeah. I will not repeat any of these awesome books already listed as well as uh, resources. Um, just want to go back to um, YouTube quickly. I said this, um, the two um, um, YouTube channels that I appreciate, um, it's the Next Level Life. Um, the young men explain a lot of elements from taxes to a lot of things, and, and he, he use a lot of data, um, the years around investment and those elements, and then as well as the Swedish investor. At the end of the day, um, we surely um, cannot just simply <coughs> save us. Save us. Uh, we cannot save to a certain point, right? But you cannot out. Uh, there's just opportunity sits out there, and then after that, you need to manage and automate, like all of us already highlighted. I just think um, those two uh, would add, and I want to echo what one of the early speakers highlighted. Um, one of the early um, resources has been our rich um, journey. I followed them home before they moved out, um, and it's really good to yeah out to Portugal. And it's really good to um, have it. And one of the other elements, one of our previous speakers mentioned, is relationships. It's imperative relationship vertically, horizontally, etc., and especially with with your kids. Um, you, you're going to have to teach them to be rich. You have to label their accounts, millionaire accounts, etc., so that you can set the legacy in place. And there's another guy, Ralph Factor, I forgot his name, he's Italian chap. He, he sets things beyond finance, and it is because financial independence is at the end of the day, you are independent financial resource. And that's really what I want to remind myself of as the guy that you're independent of your financial resource, and then you choose whether you want to retire or whatever you want to choose. Like Lauren said, there's so many other things she wants to do with the life. And that's really what it's all about. Thank you. Dion, thanks for contributing. It was good to hear from you. Thanks for joining us in here tonight. Um, appreciate that. Um, Eloise, I believe you were, you had hopped up. You'll be the last we'll speak and then I'll wrap us up. I had turned down another couple people just because I need, we need to get out of here. So it was no offense there. Apologize for that. So Eloise, go ahead. Sure, sure. Thank you. This And thank you to all of the hosts. This is tremendously uh, valuable what you're, what you're providing um, information and education to everybody along this, along this road. Um, I am, I am uh, financially independent and I did retire in my forties um, four years ago. Um, but I also did so many of the things that people were talking about this evening, 
um, books, you know, the, the seminal books or financial independent resources that I would, that were helpful to me most um, among many of the others that people have mentioned were a book by David Bach, um, Smart, what he has a Smart Women Finish Rich book that I read when I was 20 or 22. And it really, it, it puts you on the path of find your why, find your reason for wanting to, you know, be rich down the line. And what, what will you, why are you wanting to do that? And then also practical steps of how to do that. So that is, if I were starting out and doing it again, I would, I would recommend that or give it to a kid in their teens um, to get started or even somebody in their 40s who is getting started. Um, there was somebody named, someone who has a blog uh, who calls himself the Financial Samurai. And I found a lot of, I found that very helpful because he did, there were some similarities to his situation and mine. And I, I used some of the things that he did and he ended up doing a bunch of things. I, I, I don't want to get into the details, but I did some of the things that he did and then did some others as well. The book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it was interesting because it just shifted my mindset of things, the toys and things that people think are, are wealth. It really is. These are things that are depreciating liabilities rather than assets. So reading that a, a long time ago was also very helpful. Um, I, I ended up, um, I had a, for many, for 20 years, I lived in a very high cost of living area and I made, I didn't realize it at the time, but I apparently made a lot of money, but I was working with people, uh, in a job where I was interacting with people who are making a million, you know, 800 to a million dollars. So I didn't think that I made a high income, but I guess compared to compared to the you know Americans generally I was earning quite a lot of money but in the in that area you can essentially take your income and divide it divide it in one third and it's like the equivalent of making 40% of that but in a different geography so um so I did when I when I retired I did do geographic arbitrage sold my home in that area and then started doing flips in you know, remodels of fixer-uppers in uh, a much more moderately priced area. But tracking, looking, tracking my net worth really helped. And then if if I were doing it over again, if someone could have come to me and gotten through to me and made me listen back then, I would have at that time looked at the, the net worth, tracked the net worth in a macro way using some sort of, you know, one of these tools online like personal capital, you can just kind of plug your numbers in and run scenarios. I That was helpful, but I would have started a lot earlier if I could do it over. And what else, I guess? Oh, and the other thing is taxes. I never paid attention to money. I never did a budget. And I was working and enjoying my job and just working, working, working. What I would do is pay attention and just tax protect everything I could and pay attention also to the fees. Um, you know, a couple of you are, a couple of you are financial advisors who do fee-based consulting. And that is exactly what I would recommend for people either read and do it yourself or get someone who does fee only, 
not not as a percentage of whatever they're managing, managing your money and taking, you know, these people that charge 1%, it's over time, that's just unbelievably huge. And people don't realize it at the time, or I, I wouldn't have realized it until through running the numbers on a tool like, um, is it called Smart Asset? There's, there's a Y Combinator business that has calculators that you can just plug stuff in to see what would be my capital gains, what would be my investment scenario if if I put this amount of money in and then it made, you know, eight, eight and a half percent. Um, you, you can use these calculators and they are they are really helpful, but they've got a whole bunch of tools and a whole bunch of information. So so but I, I have a question for the hosts is how did you all come, if you have time to quickly answer this, how did you come to do this? And are you a team that works together or is it more just, are you individuals who just kind of got to know each other and you do this? And because I'm new, I'm relatively new to using Twitter like this of, you know, participating. I've never, I never thought I'd be talking to people on Twitter, but um, it is, it is really educational and fun. And I'm just curious, how did, how does this come about for you guys? Yeah, it's thanks for hopping up. It was good to hear that perspective, and and I will I will answer that. And this is kind of I don't know if it's maybe it's just me, and I think I got this from you, but it just feels weird to be talking to people on a social media app. It's like all the things that we were told not to do when we were growing up, right? Is is don't talk to strangers. But um, I actually went to went to lunch with two people this week that I met off of Twitter in person. And, and it's, it's just a different world now, but this group uh, it's, that's a great intro for, for this piece. Uh, I guess our little plug is me, Justin, Lauren, and then uh, a guy called main street uh, finance. His name is Alex. And then uh, Clint, I am coach Clint has joined us some as well are a group. Uh, we are all podcasters. And so we connected because of that commonality here on social media. And we decided to start this spaces based off of that. So um, we just enjoy having conversations and, um, and appreciate getting this stage uh, to talk all of you and to talk amongst ourselves, because really, we just love these. We just love these topics. I will add mine real quick. Uh, and my uh, main resource, I, well, I say main resource, it's just the one that I think offers uh, different, different opinions all the time, which I really appreciate is Choose FI. They come at it from a lot of different angles and they bring a lot of people on. And I just really appreciate uh, the way that they approach things. Um, I was just realizing a little bit ago, I think Cody was actually on Choose FI at one point. So, um, I love that podcast, love that resource. Um, so great. And then the one thing that I would tell people is actually not financial advice, but I think it's we have to set the foundation. And I think um, when it comes to trying to make financial decisions, we need to figure out our life first. We need to figure out what is our ideal life. And I think Cody's question he asked on this were, were huge as well. He said, what do you hope to do more when you retire early and how can you do more of that now? I think those are great questions, but I think it's also important 
especially if you're looking at retiring early to look at what is your goal? What is your reason for wanting that? Because there's a couple of reasons for that. Your reason is going to be a motivating factor to keep you uh, chugging, to keep you on the track. But your reason is also going to identify is early retirement the right option is are you shooting for the right goal or are you just shooting for something that you heard someone talking about um and and were appealed appealing it was appealing to you because uh their life is appealing to you and so i think those differentiations are super super important it's on that note that we will wrap it up here all right that is a wrap for today thank you so much for listening in. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. It really was enlightening and I would love to hear what your thoughts are on the movement. You can reach out to me on social or so many other places uh, like the website. So remember, as we always end these episodes, healthy financial decisions are intentional financial decisions. Intentional decisions this week lead to a healthy financial future.